In this episode, Zack suggests a project, a chart of the relative healing power of food items over the course of the SNES RPG Earthbound. In Earthbound, a hamburger restores about 50 HP, and a mammoth burger restores about 200 HP, but what do these numbers mean in terms of your max HP at the part of the game when you have access to these items? Incidentally, a couple sources claim that the Kraken Soup is a full heal item, but the game doesn't really tell you that that's what it's supposed to be. Charting this information is challenging for several reasons. First of all, the amount of HP restored when you use a given food item varies slightly for reasons that I don't understand and that I have never seen explained. Secondly, a character's maximum HP at a given level can vary between playthroughs based on the character's vitality stat and on random number generation. Third of all, your character's experience level in a given town or at a given boss is obviously variable between playthroughs. Also, your party members are all at different levels at any given time, so the data in this proposed chart are already fuzzy in four different ways. It would be fun to look at, but not to make. You would go crazy if you tried to make it, probably. As I tried to make this chart, I discovered something very strange. The experience points required to get from one level to the next are not the same for every character. For example, to get from level 24 to level 25, Ness needs about 8300 XP. Paula needs 9,200, Jeff needs almost 10,000, and Pooh only needs 7,600. Compared to Ness, Paula's very early XP requirements are much higher, I assume, to slow her down a little when she first joins the party. Jeff's XP requirements are lower than Ness's until level 22, and Pooh's start out even lower and only catch up to Ness at level 33. In the late game, though, Everybody needs in the neighborhood of 20% more XP to get from level to level than Ness does. The upshot is, unless you deliberately keep him unconscious most of the time, the other characters will never catch up to Ness. Ness will always be the strongest party member because Ness is the specialist person in the whole entire world. And this is the third strongest podcast. Uh, Ryan, start us out because I don't remember the last thing we said. Um, we recorded the melody of Fire Spring, and then the game faded to black, and then, um, we saw, what did that happen next? Well, it's like... We saw all the soundstone, the soundstone trippy screen appeared, yeah. and played the entire eight melodies, which in a huge twist, turned out to be all one long melody. Who could have seen this coming? And um, we freaked out when the all the melodies were collected. Uh, let's see, I'm watching a video of what happens. Oh, yes. Nest appeared in a grayscale world and started walking slowly up this Dalam-like uh, cliff path. Now, here's a thing that I've noticed about Earthbound this time around. Um, as Ness, as Jeff, and as Pooh, uh, when you start out with these characters, you start out in a place that's at the north end of the map, and you... Uh, like, the act of setting out on your adventure is going south into the main part of the map. Here, um, you uh, find your, uh, 
you, you are going into this, you know, ghost version of the house you were born in or something. Um, and you have to go north up the path toward that thing. And in RPGs with a top-down view, like, the the way north is always, you know, toward the, the you know, climactic goal. Uh, but Earthbound kind of inverts that in these um, in these early parts of each character's adventure to show that like the north is the origin point and then the rest of the world is south and so i think that it's kind of following the same aesthetic or psychogeography for you to walk north back to your house so that you can see the origin of ness which is what we're going to do inside of the house ness disappears and you are a a, a ghost walking through grayscale house uh being met by little puppy version of king and walking through your house and then seeing yourself in a cradle rocking back and forth and then you hear your parents talk about you does anyone else have anything to say i hadn't really ever put too much thought to it until this playthrough about how the fact that each vision we saw at the end of a sanctuary was just portraying the same event that we now are like viewing yeah Yeah. and I feel like there's a case to be made that this isn't just a vision but like this is this is some kind of reaching out across time kind of situation happening where we Mm -hmm. are like present to some extent Oh, that that fits together nicely with the whole theme of all the little snatches of music coming together and forming an entire song, too, in that now we have all these little uh, brief visions of, I, I smell this food, or I, I saw my mother smiling at me, and it turns into an entire memory vignette. Hi, by the way, I'm here. Jason's oh, here. Uh, that was the Jason secret. here. We were hiding this information from you, the audience. It is I, the infant Ness, all grown up. <laughs> there can be so many different Nesses in this episode, it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, this feels like a really pivotal thing in a way that I can't... Like well, this... the, it, it is presented in black and white. Like, it must be really important. And by stepping on the eight power spots of the earth, um, and, and this is the path into the moment where Ness will become the most powerful Ness he can be. Like, it's not obvious why why all the uh, visions at your sanctuaries were of seeing like memories or visions of yourself as a baby or why here you're going back to see yourself as a baby. Like why, who cares what happened when I was a baby? Why should I see that at this moment? I mean, are we looking at like the origin of Nessa's power? Is it as simple as that? It's the origin of his hat. That's true. That's that's canonically true. It all comes back to that. Um, that hat's that hat's going to be important in this episode. We're going to see that hat again and again, <laughs> depending upon uh, which version you play, <laughs> whether it's Japanese or American. I'm sorry. Please continue. The 
there is this moment where the parents notice that baby Ness is pointing at a bottle and it moved a little bit. Huh, that's strange. Um, and I guess you could see that as if that's the point of the uh, uh, whole scene, it is the last thing that happens. Um, but like that shows that he's a psychic baby, but so is Paul and so is Pooh. Um, yeah, I like. I think part of what has to be uncovered in this analysis, this we have to figure this out before the episode can end, is why does it matter? Why why does Net Baby Ness enter the equation at all? Why are we witnessing Ness as a baby instead of Gygus as a baby, or the universe being born, or? you know, Zeus and Hera deciding that the baby that saves the universe should be named Ness or what? Who cares about babies is my question. Well, I think Ness, this whole section is about Ness going through uh, an extremely literal um, journey inside himself. So he begins at the beginning and then he travels through his own memories and both the friends he has made and the foes he has beaten the crap out of and the, you know, the, the, the current foil that he is pursuing, uh, presumably all the way up to the present, which I guess doesn't take very long because he's still a little kid, but he still starts at the start. That's what I would argue. Hmm. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah I like I that. Oh, go ahead. I wonder if it's important to... Like, the part about the fact that he had powers when he was very young is, like, a revelation to him or to us. I mean, yeah. Like, it was, it needed to be him all this time. And he's been on this journey before the game starts. And ultimately, it's about, this whole thing is about Ness, um, you know, this whole sequence is about the uh, apotheosis if you will, <laughs> of young Ness and unlocking and realizing his full potential, which he has had there since his very first moments. Mm. And presumably, which he didn't manifest. Yeah, because he was just a, a level one ding dong when, when, when we joined him. Does he have any psi powers at all? I can't even remember. Hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. So it's about his, you know, his, his, this is his final, his, his, his final unlock of seeing yeah you know he's he's had these powers his whole life and now he's got to turn around fate turn inwards go through himself beat beat the final blocker that is keeping them down and uh and spring Mm. forward from his own head Hmm. that's a that's a good point i think the what while you guys are talking the other thing i am realizing with my own incredible intellect is that this part of the game is where Ness starts to be portrayed, or, like, he was portrayed as an individual character with, like, a family and personality while we were in Onet, and then he was just the hand of the player for about 20 hours. And what the scene with... What the baby scene and what the world of Magic... Can't... Magic... What this world does is portray him as an individual with a history and so the baby sequence like 
sets up that distinction for the player. He's not just blank avatar who is just me, but in a video game, he's this his own person. Yeah, that's quite poignant, I think. I also think it's... This is all in his head, right? So I don't know if we can say this is a real memory at all. Like, I don't remember anything from being that young. And it strikes me that a lot of the the the, the words that are used and the phrases used in this conversation between his parents are things we've seen in the game already. Um, like, the baby will grow up to be a hard worker just like you. And mm. I want him to be a thoughtful, strong boy. And these are, like, maybe these are just, like, snippets that he's putting together to create this memory or like a, a scene that he's creating in his own mind. And these are the important yeah. things. He's, he's included his dog. He's thinking, what will the dog think? What did the dog think of me back then? And I, I, I just, I think that's, yeah, it seems like it's maybe him putting it all together and like creating his own backstory. And I think that's important to uh, keep in mind because the rest of this world is going to be the same way where we can't really tell whether it's, some like aspect of reality or if it's purely put together from his own mind. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting that we get to see his perspective on some of these things we've seen in the future or in the past in the game, in the future from this is all very confusing. We've seen some of these people before and we get to see what he thinks of them because the things that they're saying are all coming from him. So that's interesting. I also find very poignant that this is the only part of the game in his memories when his father is home and you still can't mm. see him because everybody is invisible. Mm. That's fascinating because... On that note, oh, yes? Oh, just just because we're talking about how if this is like Ness's perception of these events that he's recreating, how that would be not present. Um, and I was just thinking about the fact that this isn't just the house that we saw in at the beginning of the game and on it that you can go back to. This is like some weird dreamscape version of that house. It's like on mm -hmm. a cliff by itself. It just lends more right. credence to the yeah, idea it's... that it's like, this is his, his, the way his internalized version of it is. It's like, no, 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 just, it's the house. That's the only thing that matters mm -hmm. here. Not the neighbors, yeah. not the rest of the surrounding suburbs or anything, just this. Mm-hmm. The house that you can buy does not look like this, right? I just want to make sure. As soon as you said it's on a cliff by itself, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no. No, because okay. that cliff is you walk west to get there. All right. Okay. Okay. That's a relief. Uh, no, the reason that, like, uh, you can kind of understand what this house is as you're getting there is because you're moving in the correct direction to get there. Um, I don't think that people making games think about this stuff as much as I do. <laughs> I think about the like symbolism of directions a lot, but I think it's uh, subconscious on the part of uh, game makers sometimes that you always like the direction of north, like I said, is a loaded one in top down mm. video game. One, now, more, the th one more thing yes. about this this conversation that stands out to me is that it seems to begin when he's getting his name. Ness. I think Ness is the right name oh, yeah. for him. And maybe that's the moment we're seeing 
it's kind of his origin and the same as the way the game started. Names are very important in this game. Jeez. Wow. Yeah, well, in in that scene, this scene rewrites that opening sequence of the game. Because canonically, you didn't name this. His parents did. Here's the one other thing that I want to say before we get into the main part of (laughs) Magicant. It's like... On one level, th- all of this is coming from his mind, and so it's just like a product of his subconscious. But Ness is an incredibly powerful psychic, and he's also the chosen one who has like overlapped with the entire universe. And so it's entirely possible for this uh, this world to contain information that comes from outside his mind Mm. that he's not aware of even on a subconscious level Mm. he's aware of only on a magic level Mm. interesting that being said let's let's go into actual magic ant the screen turns white and now ness is in his pajamas with bedhead in a field of vegetables and the star master is over there as he's known to to, to be uh the presence of the star master like i think that a lot of we can debate for any of these characters whether they're really there or whether they're just ness's memories but like for the star master we have to imagine that that's the actual star master hmm. who's inside your brain because he's i mean do you want to read it any other way well i want to read it this way especially considering he shows up in two different places as if he's kind of like Warping around your dreamscape. Yeah. He says, You've stood on the eight power spots of the earth. From these, you created Magicant, the realm of your mind. In Magicant, there is beauty, kindness, sorrow, and hatred. Of course, there is an evil and violent side of you. The Sea of Eden sits at the center of those feelings. It takes you to the truth about yourself. And when you talk to Star Master and he like reveals this uncomfortable fact, then the palette morphs into a weird like purple and red Hmm. world instead of the fuzzy green world that you were enjoying before yeah the aesthetic choices here are pretty incredible yeah it's another example of them using what they have available to to great very cool effect Um, I, i wouldn't have thought of changing the color palette when you talk to people but it's a really cool thing that they managed to do and a lot of the times the colors feel very much like the emotion you would think he's having when he's talking to these people yeah yeah it's a really good use of that effect that they used very at the very beginning of the game to like shift the hue um to yeah they did it so like subtly in just that one moment and now they're gonna do it all over the place and you're not even gonna notice it as being the same kind of thing yeah but it's that it's that same tech, and now they're employing it in this very deliberately jarring way to make you uncomfortable yeah. to some extent. Yeah. To, yeah. to elicit an emotional reaction when you like talk to the zombie, and everything turns like black. Mm. Does every single conversation you have change the palette? I don't. I think it's possible think... that every conversation has like a flag on it that says, "Here's what the palette mm. should be after this conversation." Yeah. yeah. And... 
uh, sometimes it doesn't change because mm. you talk to two generic normal palette people in a row. I love the timing of it that it only happens at the end of the conversation and I don't think you can move. So it, it takes like half a second, but there's a pause mm. when, and the palette shifts and it, it's an animated shift. It's not just snap. Everything's a, like a different, it's not like a, like yeah, a yeah. gel snapping over a light. It, it's, it's, it's an animated shift and it takes half a second. And yeah, there, there's an odd sort of meditativeness to it, even as it happens so many times and it, uh, it happens so quickly. I guess there I, is, oh, yes. I was going to say, there's, um, the stuck. people who <laughs> there's your mom and sister. Zach, and dog. Go. <laughs> no, too late. We're talking about the family. Um, you have your families here in their house, but their house is just like outside. There's no walls. It's just the living room and your, your family is here and they have the same functions that they would otherwise um but then there are houses here in magic camp but their house specifically is just open Mm. and we're gonna see that across the way where pokey's house is also just open in this way Hmm. Mm -hmm. um as if it's like a diorama out on display or something like this isn't a real domicile these aren't real people in that way this is for your display purposes there's also a man in a Hawaiian shirt with a hat and dreadlocks. It's Everdread. And uh, he's kind of hiding in the bushes. And when you talk to him, he says, Ness, maybe you don't want to hear this, but you remind me of myself when I was young. I can't do anything more for you. Good luck, Ness. Hmm. And then he, like, teleports or disintegrates. Uh, he ceases to be visible. And anyone who wants to believe that Everdread is Ness's dad, that's uh, that's that's what you've got to work with. Hmm. Where did we land on that subject? I forget. What was I it? think it's a fun idea. I don't think it's intentional in the text, but uh, I think it enriches the the story if you if you look at it that way. It is interesting think- that he's here, and he says, like. What did he? What did I just say? <laughs> well, he reminds uh, him of, of he remind you remind him of himself when he was younger. Um, no, I mean before that. Maybe you don't want to hear this. Mm. So, this this person in Magicant, who we kind of start out with the assumption that it's just an element of Ness's subconscious. Um, is saying, you don't want to hear this, but I, this person that you met, or you remind me, this person that you met over there, and I died in an alley, um, you remind me of myself when I was young. Now, that is not a, it's not typical for a person who's being a, a construct of your subconscious to say you remind me of my like to have that kind of interiority he shouldn't he should be representing just what Ness thinks of Everdread and so if you want to interpret it purely as this is like Ness externalizing his own opinions of everybody then Ness has this very complicated opinion of Everdread where 
he sees Everdred as someone who sees him as similar to him, Everdred. Hmm. But if you interpret this as Everdred's ghost is in Nessa's brain because of weird psychic stuff, um, which is supported by the fact that Everdred disappears here where everyone else just hangs out to talk to you. Yeah. Um, the idea that this is actually Everdred's ghost in Nessa's brain, that's cool. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I jive with that a lot on this playthrough. I think that that is exciting in a way. Magic Camp becomes this, like, as we're talking about it here, especially and just on this playthrough in general, like, it being not just an entirely, like, figment world that is just going to evaporate afterwards and that there are characters within it that have a little bit of agency is, like, exciting. I'm on board with this, too. Someone does say that it's going to evaporate afterward, though. Yeah. I think... Uh, can I... Oh, go ahead. The evaporation is... I think that book ends really well the fact that he's hiding and all the other residents of Magicant are just out in the open, whether they are strange bunny rabbits or people from Ness's past or his family... And Everdread is crouched behind a bush, a bush, and yeah, like uh, that—that that is a little bit Lynchian. I mean, that is like he's—it's sort of an unsettling dream um, mm -hmm. character in a in a particular way that nobody else here has. Not even the monsters you fight later, who are just good old monsters. Um, yeah, so I, I like the idea that Ness constructs. Magicant in his head as part of this journey, and he invites in his internalized representations of all of his friends and foes, and Everdred's spirit, this, this strange loop of Everdred, is hanging out in his brain and gets pulled in. He accepts the invitation, and that's actually Everdred. <laughs> just a waveform of Everdred just hanging out there, but he's weird because he is real in a way that the other figments are not. And, and this is symbolized by the fact that he's crouched behind a bush for no particular reason. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, kid, I'm going to say something self-deprecating, and I, I'm really out. I'm tapped out having done that. So see ya. Peace. And he, uh, and he vanishes. And I think when I saw that, I'm pretty sure this was the case when I was playing. Watching a video, I was expecting this again, and I was delighted and surprised when this didn't happen. I figured, oh, he's the first guy I talked to and he vanishes, so like everyone I talk to is just going to be consumed and vanished, and I'm just going to kind of like suck them all up. And then you just get the one. You just get the one. <laughs> and you get it right at the start. It's so good. I think that uh, it would be helpful to mention the nature of Magicant in Earthbound Beginnings. Uh, my, yeah. fav my favorite video game, apparently, that I love to talk about. Um, where in that game, it is a weird magical realm, but it's not explicit. And it's like dr dream-esque. But it also appears to be like a real place because you go back and forth from there. Um, you access it through kind of magical means, but like it's not treated specifically as a dreamscape in this way. And there are like people living in it that feel like they're just people living in any other town, but it's like from like an actual like RPG town because they're all like little wizard guys. And I feel like that parallels pretty well with what we're talking about where here there are characters that just exist here that came from outside of it because the idea of traveling to and from it is similarly represented in the the, the previous game to this one. Hmm. And in that game... Yeah. 
Oh, good. That the way that you have Magicant in that game and Magicant in this game that work in like pretty obviously distinct ways, I think is one of the main things that convinces me that we're not really supposed to treat these games as being in continuity with each other because you know you have this cool magical land that has very you know it's the it's pinned into the lore into in this very important way and then you have this next game where you like are kind of going back to magical land but it works differently and the whole premise of its existence is different and um like magicant is made from maria's mind but it's not like everyone's like i'm an aspect of maria's personality i'm a different aspect of maria's personality well, right I, we're not getting that because we're not maria necessarily right like in in magicant in earthbound beginnings she's the queen of the land like, she is the most important person there. She lives in the castle. She's in charge of everybody. And we're kind of intruding on her realm and interacting but with people is there. that realm depicted as all these people are people that she invented out of her own subconscious? That's not really elaborated. We don't get that one way or the other. Um, okay. There's, I guess there's no evidence suggesting that. It's not like somebody's like, oh, I'm Maria's cousin uh or whatever i'm maria's fear of bugs yeah like that doesn't come up at all but it's similarly just this realm born out of somebody's strong will though here it has a very specific purpose where you know now we're using this i guess somewhat innate thing that a person can do to create a realm of your own mind to go through and come out the other end having achieved a higher state of enlightenment. The Star Master really makes it sound like the only reason Magicant exists is because Ness, the most important little boy in the world, has successfully stood on all the eight power spots that are his sanctuary. And I, I don't think anybody else in Earthbound World could create Magicant because the prerequisites are going to all the eight sanctuaries and being the chosen one. Hmm. Well, regardless, um, it is worth pointing out that they do share a song. Um, the song is the same between the two games, but whereas in Earthbound Beginnings, it's this very like, well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a chiptune song. that's very haunting melody. Uh, here they turn it into, like, a circus song. They turn it into a Paper Mario song. <laughs> I didn't think of it in terms of that, but yeah, kinda. Uh, yeah, they take the same melody and they, like... Uh, they even do something kind of to the rhythm, I think. Uh, to make it sound very childish and, uh, kind of silly. There, It's not, like regal or ominous in the way the uh, NES Magicant is. Uh, and, and, like, because this is the world built from Ness's memories, and Ness, depending on who you ask, is either 12 or 9 years old, he doesn't have a really deep well of, like, previous selves 
to, uh, you know, draw into his memory. Or draw from his memory. So it's only memories of being a little kid, or an even littler kid. Also, he did just beat up a circus. Circuses are scary and full of zombies, so That's maybe true. circus music mm. is very ominous mm. for young Ness. The other, th- um, the other thing happening audio-wise is you have cartoon sound effects as you walk around. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me like of uh, Mario and Donkey Kong, squishy. actually. He goes, weep, 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 weep. Yeah. It's a very, like, a dorky little kid world. I think that it is, uh, the ground is squishy like a, uh, inflatable castle bouncy house is that only at the beginning or does it keep doing that all the way through until until you you hit the end jeez uh, does it do it in the like where the music changes yeah like I believe it yeah does. yeah wow. yeah oh, wow before we get back on track uh working our way through here we should talk about what jason like briefly alluded to uh and that's ness's attire oh yeah while we're here where... This is something I didn't know about before this evening, doing a bit of research. And I was just, Oh, I you was just intrigued. found this out. Oh, I just found this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for the audience's sake, we talked about how he's wearing pajamas as he wanders around here, which is like a parallel to the beginning of the game. Um, but that's not true in the Japanese version. In the Japanese version... Before we go any further, before we go any uh-oh, further... Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. If there's any, you know, sensitive listeners who... <laughs> need you know if you're uncomfortable with certain elements of the world like we want to we want everybody to be included in the third strongest podcast community but we also want to cover everything in a basically comprehensive way and so you know this is just for those listeners who are whiny babies skip to um an hour and 16 minutes rated t for t because we're gonna get into some stuff (laughs) <laughs> okay, go ahead. Oh, Ness is nude. <clears throat> He's just got his ball Sorry, cap on and nothing on. else. Because uh, it's a dream. There's so exact- many things I want to unpack. And, and not in a weird <laughs> way, but also go. in a weird way. Keep going. Do it. Do it. So, uh, like I didn't... Some of the stuff I wrote down earlier and some of the stuff I only realized while y'all, y'all were talking earlier. But, okay... Just start with, you know that the Sea of Eden is coming up, right? And uh, what do we think about when we think about Eden? We think of the creation myth. We think of Adam and Eve naked in the garden. And here is Ness in the original version of the game, which I did not play or see until tonight, naked in this garden of giant, dare I say, two mess and vegetables, and giant animals frolicking around um, right at the start. And you are, you are told you are on your way to the Sea of Eden, which is a place of, what does he say, f- hatred and fear? <laughs> um, uh, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, that sets up a lot. And, and having the protagonist naked through this makes a extremely strong uh, cultural, uh, some extremely strong cultural glue there. And um, the specific thing I was thinking of reviewing all of this tonight is that this in, this entire this entire stage you are begin in this green area 
And then the color drains away a little bit, and you talk to some of the foes you beat up, and they talk about how they'll never forget how you, you handed their head to them, if you will. And then finally you go into a dungeon, and it's like this bizarre scrawled MS Paint dungeon, but it's still a dungeon. And, uh, and then you go into a worse dungeon. Um, and it, it forms a triptych that reminds me very much of, I'll just going to drop it, The Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronym Spash. Uh, and in particular, the, the, the central, the famous, well, there's, there's two f- famous panels from it, but the central one is the, the, the eponymous garden, which features um, a large number of frolicking young naked people uh, in a garden, in a bizarre, extremely fantastic, bizarrely colored dream space of fountains and giant vegetables and bizarre animals uh, dancing around and doing strange things. And, I, like, that's where you start. Like, you're there at the beginning of this. Uh, it's uncanny. And then uh, as you go on and things get darker and darker, and I, I see that as, like, I, again, you know, I have no proof that that was a, a source material for this, but, you know, the famous right panel of this artwork is is the hell panel with like and that's where you see like the guy playing the flute with his butt and all the weird monsters and everything and um and that's where you that's where you're headed right you're 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 going into your own personal hell your own personal underworld um and it's it's the fact that in the original edition you're naked the whole time uh really drives that home for me that's that's where my mind goes um, yeah, when you, it, it, we'll get ahead of ourselves and talk about the monsters that you're going to see in the dungeon section. There is a very like, uh, Boschian kind of flavor to them being disembodied eyes and lips that are menacing you. Yep. Uh, yes. And giant molecules i'm not sure where they fit in but (laughs) we'll make it work oh and what's this in the garden of earthly delights i'm looking at near the bottom of the right panel where there is a lady who is next to a rabbit and the rabbit is holding a spear and on top of this lady's head is balanced a die anyway we're not there yet um in the so you you meet those the zombie and master belch that say ah you killed me um you go into like the second zone uh where the color like it's white instead of green by default in the default palette and um there are snowmen around who uh will talk to you they're also phallic snowmen if you're jason and thank you, you. here you meet uh smaller ness who looks like one of the kids in onet uh, but he says, I'm you when you were younger. Do you prefer reading comics or playing games? Oh, you're you're busy? Okay. Um, there's also a black rabbit. There are a couple of rabbits in this world um, who look like the rabbit statues, but I guess they're not really related to those. They're more like <laughs> frolicking uh, dream world bunnies and not ominous statues of bunnies. Uh, but this one over here says, I'd like you to take your time because this country will disappear when you wake up. So it's not like we've traveled to the special world. We are briefly inhabiting this this thing that's 
a dream. And the guy at the uh, nearby um, uh, hotel makes it very clear. Uh, the dream you'll have here is a dream within a dream. And so it's like... I, I like uh, While we're quibbling over the exact nature of Magicant, I want to say I don't think that anyone writing this game had a really solid idea of the specifics. <laughs> um, but obviously, one of the ideas they had was this is a dream. To some extent, this is not real. Unfortunately, when you stay at this hotel and the guy tells you you'll have a dream within a dream, we don't see what that dream within a dream yeah. is. It seems like it's setting us up for, I don't know, a shrine where we get an ocarina. Do we but... see other dreams in this game? No, right? We get like uh, we no. Get... The first trip to Dalam is they say that it's a dream. Okay, yeah. there we go. Okay, yeah, people talk about to... dreams. People talk get, about. Um... I, just, I was wondering, as like a player of the game, do we ever see a dream? And the Dalam one's the only one then, other than getting. Like visions, or not visions. Yeah, you have um, pa- Paula messages. contacting you. Yeah, but that's yeah. there's no visuals. Yeah. I think that's that's specifically against a black background. You just get the text. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The the other thing that the um, the hotel guy says is your heart knows things you aren't aware of, and I think that that's you know diagnostic for all the analysis we want to do because. Um, the what the world of magic is telling us maybe among other things is like it it's spelling out for you that this is material that is inside ness's subconscious that he knows but doesn't know that he knows and so um if we go up to this vision of pokey um i think that like the stuff that this vision of pokey says is has the potential to be very interesting uh what does he say ness you're so lucky i envy you i have no luck but ness well okay let's be friends forever all right they use so many ellipses (laughs) in this speech and like okay it's so rich for analysis because on one hand we know that especially we know that pokey is actually the main villain kind of or a main villain of this game and we know that he is irredeemable he is the scum of the earth and he doesn't have any you know or like there's nothing else in in the quote unquote real world of the game to indicate that uh pokey has any of these like relatable desires and so it's possible to read this as um like ness exercising empathy and like guessing that pokey has you know that he's actually a human deep deep down or it could be wishful thinking on Ness's part. Like, this is the version of Pokey that I've constructed that I can actually deal with. Or it could be, you know, information coming to Ness, not via the empathic instrument, but via psychic power. 
that he knows that uh, Pokey has, like, that Pokey sees it, <laughs> his relationship to Ness in terms of luck, hmm. which is interesting on its own, and that uh, what Pokey really wants is to be friends. I think there's another interpretation of this, too, which is that it's an earlier version of Pokey. And oh. it's before he evolved into the somewhat evil boy he is. So you can kind of see a trajectory when he once wanted to be friends with Ness. And maybe his envy overtook him or something like that. Because they've been, they've been neighbors all their lives, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I like that. You know, these are the only two houses that are represented this way mm. it's the the just these two right it's just these these are the two most important households and it's just pokey right it's not even mm-hmm. picky and his uh parents aren't there either so yeah. there's well, a, there's picky a sense is, of importance is over here. there oh he is it's uh, right picky is in that line and he says what like pokey stole my snack <laughs> <laughs> But there's definitely a, a, a feeling of importance happening over here mm-hmm. by making him one of the few people that gets to have that whole area to himself. Mm. Also has a bunch of pillars around him for arbitrary reasons, which is mm. fun. Yeah, jeez. Could we circle back? I never thought the- about those pillars. <laughs> Let's look at these pillars some more. I want to see these pillars. There's like I like stage. the fact that uh, Pokey's yeah. living rent free in Ness's head. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Totally. Um, I think the pillars are placed um, near Pokey to represent like the ostentatiousness of the Minch home and of his, you know, his general lifestyle as we've seen him in the Monotoli offices. Mm. That he's like, he's the poor little rich kid. Yeah, it works. Hey, you know what? Hmm. I have been turning back and forth in my brain whether I want to mention the zigzag background of Magicant. Oh, dear. Because, as any Twin Peaks fan will tell you, not every set of zigzags is a Twin Peaks reference. Although some Twin Peaks will t- fans, some Twin Peaks will fans will tell you that every set of zigzags is a Twin Peaks reference, but I'm not one of those. The thing is, you know what else is floating out there beyond the zigzag edge of the Magicant continent is these planets with rings around them. And that's the lamp from the Red Room, right? Hmm. Wait, I'm looking at a, P- a PNG. Yeah, man. Oh, those those planets. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's just in that There's a one... There's lamp in the Red Room that's... That's a planet with a ring around it. Okay. So I think that we're also in the red room here, in addition to being in so many other interpretations of Magicant. Because uh, on the NES, Magicant was like just clouds, right? It was like. Clouds it was with like pink mountains? It's all pink clouds and hills, um, a lot of palm trees, which we actually see here ah. next to Ness's house, the representation of Ness's house, which is interesting. Uh, and then a lot of shell motifs, which is absent, uh, very specifically absent in this version of the game. Or in this game, rather. Uh, yeah, so I think that they're also trying to recall the 
the Red Room from Twin Peaks and the idea that, like, again, it, I think that we said enough about it. Maybe we said enough about it just in my monologue on the uh, Moonside episode that the uh, this other world can describe an internal state of the dreamer, but it can also describe uh, external information or have its own reality all at the same time. Uh, because meaning is fungible, especially if the people constructing that meaning are not being super careful about it. Before we go too much further, can we circle back to the interior spaces here? There's a couple buildings that are like shops and hotels. Yep. Uh, we should talk about the man, the shopkeep man, who's like a weird Gumby man. Uh, <laughs> I love the sprite. I love the sprite. It I love looks the like a demon, right? I don't see it as... He's I, got horns. He just looks like a weird... I would say alien, but, you know, this game doesn't operate like that. I don't know what to call this man. I think he's, that's a demon. He's like a default sprite. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's great. I love him. They're so... They are weird and unnerving. But yeah, they're like... Very placeholder sprite uh, vibes. Yeah, yeah. In addition to the stuff in, in the interiors where, like, there's an ATM and a phone, but they're, like, like extremely minimalist 2D sprite versions of that that aren't meant to represent, like, physical objects, necessarily. They're, like, transparent. It's all, uh, and yeah. The ATM just looks like an old-timey radio or something. Because it's just a, like a box with a face. This is extremely like default assets. <laughs> I was checking out um, Tomato's website about this and that uh, the ATM in Japanese, it said CD on it instead of having uh, eyes. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Uh, because it's a cash dispenser. Yeah. But instead of changing the CD to say ATM, they changed it into... Some eyes, <laughs> so that <laughs> it's a weird appliance that's staring at you, and also you're not going to figure out that it's an ATM unless you try to interact with it. But yes, there's an ATM in your brain. It's got to be. But but you know it's an ATM because it's it's the box that's next to the to the phone. So oh, mm -hmm. you know what that's got it can only be one thing. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about in the lead up to the cool part? Uh, you can buy uh, the the shopkeep sells puddings and pendants. <laughs> uh, very literally, that's all he sells. Uh, here's a good place to stock up on some late game items if you feel like doing that. I did get three earth pendants, yeah. so I could take some home. Uh, I didn't stock up on puddings like I have in previous playthroughs because I'm a little magic pudding just restores psychic power, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like um, a, not as good as a magic truffle, but you can buy infinite of these. So, but th okay, so there's nowhere in Magic Ant to buy food. Correct. Right? And you're about to go through a pretty hard area, so this is kind of your last chance to bulk up a little bit ahead of time. The game has figured out and expects you to figure out that it there's no point carrying around HP restoring food because Ness is the healing 
psychic master. All you need is that psychic point. And that's kind of been like a slow escalation of the game going that direction ever since we got Pooh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. It's good. Because Earthbound doesn't really offer up any like full heal items, huh? Other than the, the hand aid. There's not like... Are there any other full heal items? Because even like a brain food lunch, which is probably the best he- food in the game, only heals like 300. Which is like nothing compared to some of the end game hit point totals. I'm I'm like mentally putting this alongside other SNES RPGs in my head. And those games all have like throughout the game you're picking up a whole bunch of full heals. Yeah. Like high, uh, X potions and elixirs and such and th- they don't really have that in this game. There is almost uh, an expectation of the player to abandon using food items, isn't there? Yeah. Well, the food items get more powerful, so you can That's just true. use like At a what luxury point are jerky the food items something. functionally full heals. Yeah. Is it is it just that they're because there's so many different food healing items, it's just on a much there's just a different gradient to it almost where on like a Yeah, maybe. Your Final Fantasy, you've got maybe four different levels of yeah. healing item whereas here in Earthbound <laughs> there are 40. Yeah. Has anybody arranged that in a I wonder if anybody's arranged that in a chart. That would be cool to look at. Like, here's the the relative healing over time of the items in the game. Mm. That would be fun to look at, but not to make. I would go crazy if I tried to make that, probably. <laughs> uh, before we move on, is there anything else going on? Shop guy, young version of yourself. We talked about Pokey. I lost the picture of magicant that i'm using to cheat off of <laughs> smart do we want to just briefly touch on uh the name magicant cuz uh i don't know if if this has if if it's just like well that's what it was called in the first game so we're calling it that here too in which case that's okay but it's an unusual name because it's like okay like the magic part of it's like okay it's it's magical sure um but then like can't Right. That that's that seems that seems sort of a, a, a double not double meaning, but um is it just because that's just okay, we wanna call it magic and let's just put a word ending on it that makes it sound Englishy, magic ant, sure. There there you go, done. Ship it. Um or does it mean like can't like I was I, I was definitely yeah. overthinking this. Like do we mean can't as it's it's a song, mm. right? It's 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 a magical place that, that you mentally sing into existence. Um in English, though, it sounds like you're saying it's a magic can't, like you can't <laughs> magic here, uh, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, <laughs> given everything. Uh, can't can mean it's like cantilevered. It's like tilted. Um, it's, it's, it's like a strange magical world. It's like reality, but it's like er, can't it over. Uh, again, overthinking it, but I'm wondering if there's any thoughts on, you know, why it has the name it does. I'm like going back through and trying to remember what the Japanese names of all the towns in the original game are because they're all named after holidays and that also doesn't fit. Magicant doesn't fit into that naming motif either. It's not like that's like the the Rosetta Stone to figuring this out as to why it's that name, but like I think it's just an evocative sounding yeah, name. Yeah, the, the Earthbound 
I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I was also amused by the Earthbound Wiki uh, reveals that it is magic hand in every language. It is the equivalent of magic hand in Korean, and in Russian, it is hmm. dreamia. <laughs> so that they, or it's 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 a Russian word which is translatable as dreamia, like it's it's dreamland, um, but it is explicitly magic hand. Are in there every official? Language like non-English and Japanese translations of the game, or are these just from like fan translations? Oh, you know what? I, that's, that's what I get for trusting wikis. I, no, <laughs> I'm going to back I'm out, back out of that, that yeah, one. And I'm just wondering, like, um, I don't know that there are official non-English or Japanese translations of these games, but I guess I don't know. Do you know what? I, that sounds entirely reasonable. Well, to me, there so doesn't have to be a I full translation. To... If, the name was used in oh. like some Spanish language ad. Well, or Smash Brothers a magazine. Smash Brothers. Oh yeah, okay. Because uh, duh, that, that's that a game that's one. in a zillion languages, most assuredly. And there's a Magic Ant stage in that. So yeah, there is absolutely a Magic. So Ant that's got to be where they're pulling that from. That's fascinating. Whoa. But still, you have to wonder. Yeah, you know, the localization choices. Interesting. Interesting. Um. There's this house, and it has a grave outside mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And the grave mm-hmm. says that it's Buzz Buzz's grave. And I Buzz forgot Buzz. that Buzz Buzz died. Uh, you yeah. forgot. Well, I was busy playing this game. And so I, yeah. I, you know, I don't remember the characters. The grave the explicitly beginning. reminds mm-hmm. you that he died earlier yeah. in the game in so in many words game. because you were busy. They actually, like, break the fourth wall here in a weird way. In the middle of all this. Well, they, it's, it's not that weird that they did it in earlier in the game quite a bit. Oh yeah. Um, and they kind of gave up on that angle. And then here where the reality is fuzzy again, uh, but also where like, we're recontextualizing the whole story. Uh, they, make a point of letting one of those fourth wall jokes through yes and forcing you to contend with well not only is it not it's this might be a like real magic world or it might be a dreamed magic world or it might be both but also this is all a video game none of it is real well like so I guess for Jason's benefit, on the previous episode, we started to talk a little bit about what I'm going to call the tug of war between the identity of Ness as an individual who exists as like a person and Ness as the vehicle for the player in the context of the message you got at Lumine Hall, where uh, supposedly Ness's thoughts scrolled across the screen, but Ness is like questioning whether or the 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 thoughts scrolling across the 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 wall question whether or not they're actually ness's thoughts or not and we kind of left it hanging a little bit as a thought but here in magicant we are back in that tug of war of like the concept of ness as an individual like a, a distinct individual and a ness as a vehicle for the player here and so now we have like a whole bunch of different nesses to sift through and kind of get a feel for and it deciding to spell out for you the player that this is not an event that happened like recently this is an event that happened earlier in the game is Mm -hmm. now 
spelling out that tension between these two concepts in a way that I'm like, oh, this is good. This is juicy. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I like when it gets fuzzy. And in that in that viewpoint, you could see a lot of the stuff happening in Magicant as filling us in on what Ness was like when he was younger and people important to him back then. And yeah. I don't know where it's I'm exciting. Going <laughs> no, it's good. But yeah, I like when that when when both are relevant at the same time, both us playing Ness and Ness as a character uh, could be the point of all this. And it's a good reminder about Buzz Buzz as well. He gave up the ghost before he achieved his goal. Buzz Buzz is a major character. He got the yeah. major character join theme when he joined you. Yeah. Don't forget about him. Try not well, to. anyway, inside the house, there are some dudes. They are shirtless guys with bird heads. And uh, when I talk to one, he explains that he is my courage. But I can call him Flying Man. And then he joins my party. And it's, it's just so cool. Yeah, so many of these things that happen here are unexpected, and this is just another one. We get uh, and there's there's good yeah. flying man music oh, too, right? Yeah, classic yeah. classic song. Yeah, I forgot where this song was, and then here it is. It's very familiar <laughs> for some reason. And it follows yeah. you outside after he joins yeah. you. Gives you courage. When has the music in this game ever worked like that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might even be a a mistake. I feel no. like. Yeah, no? I disagree. It's gotta be. Yeah, it's that's, the presence it's, it's of gotta flying be deliberate. Man. Yeah, it's such an important thing for you to have a flying man with you that I, that 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 doesn't feel like a mistake. That feels like an but intentional choice. They cancel that music as soon as you walk into the area with enemies in it. Yeah, hmm. I think they, which is probably moments yeah, later. <laughs> I think that there's a possibility that like they're supposed the if music works the way I think it does. Well, that the walking, loading the main Magicant map from that door is supposed to load the main Magicant mm. music, and they just forgot to do it. Well, it definitely gives it a certain vibe when it 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 has like it makes a certain emotion when you have Flying Man with yes. you. It's, it's like electrifying. Yeah, it's the visu- visuals and the music at the same time. They go together for me. It doesn't feel like a mistake. It's a different state. I should say that. Uh- in the in the let's play that I watched, the player trudged uh, all the way back to <laughs> the beginning of Magicant to take a nap back at his house and then save the game. So we got mm. to enjoy that music for an extra long time, and that that makes sense strategically mm. speaking. That's a good point. I didn't do that, but I didn't have a very hard time anyway because I'm very good at this game, and I got lucky with spawns. <laughs> nice. The spawns will get you. There's a bit of a... I, I mean, obviously there's the part of Magicant where there's no enemies, and then there's a the part where there are enemies. I wonder if a case could be made that, like, the first green area represents some, you know, cloud of emotions that's distinct from the emotions that are contained in the second whitish area where Pokey appears... Um, that's probably asking too much. 
but it, when you get to this red area, uh, that's where the flying men hang out and they are your courage. They can help you in battle and you need that because the red area also has monsters. A lot and of monsters. there is, in some way, maybe not a really rigorous way, there is a progression from safety to danger to more danger. Yeah, I follow with that. Should we talk about the flying man's whole deal before we go venture off oh, into yeah. the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the there are a finite amount you have a you have you the player or you Ness have a finite amount of courage available. And then when you walk in there there are five flying men and there are only five flying men in the game. And when a flying man takes too much damage it just dies. And when it dies it leaves a tombstone out there. And there's a whole lot of a text associated with this where in this game, as you recruit more flying men, as they all pass, the flying men start to get a little more frustrated uh, where I think you read the one for the, the, the first flying man of the words says, I'm your courage. By the time you get to flying man three, he says, I'm flying man three. Your courage hasn't died yet. Let's go. Uh, Flying Man 4 says, I'm also your courage. Call me Return of Flying Man. How's that? However, don't treat us like trash. Mm. (laughs) And then the last one, Exacerbated, will say, of course we're your courage, but we warned you not to treat us like trash. Didn't you get it? This isn't courage, it's desperation. If you don't understand courage, look it up in the dictionary, okay? (laughs) My name's The Final Flying Man. (laughs) Uh, and then the tombstones similarly, I'd have to look up tombstone in this. It says, Ness's courage is resting here. He fought well and died. Another one of Ness's courage. Another one of Ness's courage. Wow. <laughs> is resting here. He damaged evil terribly and finally died. Third one says, here rests. Here he rests. I didn't have time to have his name chiseled into the tombstone. The fourth one says, someone's tombstone. The last one says tombstone. Amazing. Uh, it's pretty incredible. The uh, this is also something they do in Magic Hint and Earthbound Beginnings, but the joke there isn't as it, it, it. They go a different joke with it, where the tombstones describe the flying men, and so it starts with like your faithful servant, and then your strong and powerful ally, and then by the end it's great sorrow and horror and dismay. <laughs> what is I this like what, what is the situation here is it because because you're it's so unnerving at first you're like oh i'm getting like a teddy bear basically to like help me fight or like it's you know i've got courage cool it'll help me fight and then and then it just gets darker and darker as you lose courage is it really representing your courage dying are you supposed to have courage without borrowing it from Flying Man? What is this situation? On one hand, the way that the final Flying Men are written, it's possible that like they don't expect you to die that much. And like there's jokes there because you are playing the game wrong. Yeah. 
But saying this isn't courage, it's desperation. It's such a slap in the face. If you don't understand courage, look it up in the dictionary, yeah. okay? To, to, to someone who is failing. Yeah, it's kind of scary. It's lose more mechanic. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's uh, well, I, I mean, I think how scary it is is based on how seriously you take it. Yeah, I guess, yeah. And I think that I, I, I don't know if we're intended to read this as like, you know, in, in the same way, um, if I all these NPCs who are like, do you want to progress in the game? Yes or no. And if you say no, they're like, look, you're, you're not. You're, I'm going to push you forward whether you like it or not. Or if someone asks you that kind of question, you're supposed to say yes. Mm -hmm. The game responds to perverse input in a perverse way. Uh, I think that that might be what's going on here. Uh, but that's assuming that they expect you to do a pretty good job at the combat here. Yeah. You really truly have to go out of your way to uh, fell every flying man. Okay. <laughs> Because that's what I thought. It takes a lot of. I mean, yeah. It doesn't take a ton of effort, but it's like it's something I've done on playthroughs, and you have to kind of work at it a little bit. Yeah, if you uh, had, there's, it's such a long like gauntlet that if you lose a flying man, going all the way back is harder than pressing yes. forward. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. I had a series of posts on the Meverse where I did this in every game I could do it in, where I would post a picture of all the flying man graves in a row me standing next to it saying what have i done uh they got a lot of yaz <laughs> before you enter the area with monsters the star master appears again and says the sea of eden is filled with ultimate intelligence you can't go there unless you're truly ready it's a place where you can touch the truth of the universe Going there may may bring sorrow. Am I right about him saying that here? Yeah, okay, sorry. Uh, it's in my notes, but I didn't attribute it to anybody. But I also wrote that line down. Yeah, it's right before the border to the red zone. Yeah, it's very intimidating. And, like, possibly the reason he says may bring sorrow is so that, like, to set up the color transition mm. into the sorrowful palette. But once you pass that past that threshold, the music changes. Yeah. Regardless of irrespective of which music you had playing. Uh, to be danger music. So that you know that you're gonna fight some enemies. I think we talked about them basically already. Um there's the the enemy that is a die with like a top hat and a cane who all it does is summon other monsters. There's the eyeballs. There's the weird, like, what are they called? Electro the electro swoosh or something? Yeah. You'll forgive me if I think that the, the name electro swoosh is not really what's in the game, but something I made up out of my head <laughs> because it sounds so bizarre. It is one of the weirder names of enemies in this game with a lot of weird enemies. There is the French Kiss of Death, which made me say, hold on, where was the original Kiss of Death? It was in the um, Pink Cloud Dungeon, but I'm not sure we even talked about it. Did we 
mention the kiss of death? I don't remember. I don't think we did, which means none of us ran into it, probably? Yeah. I know I didn't. Hmm. Oh, this but is it's where a big these, pair of lips. These enemies have question marks as their sprite, which is also like another like placeholder sprite looking thing done very yeah. intentionally, which is good. Uh it's the the we've seen it before, but we've seen it in um the name your characters sequence so it's like what's your favorite thing oh we have i didn't think about that and perhaps the game is implying that our favorite thing is the french kiss of death or the electro swoosh or mr Mr. molecule Molecule. (laughs) good old mr molecule (laughs) Or the carefree bomb, who is an unfair, bad enemy, cheats yeah. this game, cheats. Screw you, carefree bomb. Very big pain in the butt enemy. On the way to meeting carefree bomb, we may meet Ness, fully clothed Ness, who says, here's that baseball cap. And he hands you the item that is just a baseball cap. And is this a repeat of an item from, like, the first part of the game? Or is this an all-new item just for this segment? I believe it is just the same item. Okay. That, like, we start out equipped with? We don't start equipped with it, but we can buy one at a store. But you don't oh. need to buy one at a store because you Because you go... get the Mr. Baseball cap. Exactly. Uh, this is, like, the fifth... But it seems so strange. It, like, the fact it hands you this, like, imbues it with mm-hmm. such importance. And you're like, of course I need this thing for something coming up. I can't just leave it behind. But you'd be wrong because <laughs> it is actually useless. You would be wrong. It's that was another nothing. really sort of shocking moment, I thought, when you see yourself. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here, but that's like a classic, you know? It looks, it's usually you're in control yeah. of that sprite and instead you're walking up to it and, and talking to it. It's it reminds blurry. me of a TV show I saw one time where a guy was forced to contend with his doppelganger. Hmm. Yeah. But it didn't end so good for that guy on that show. So probably a coincidence. Maybe. Arrested development. <laughs> There's also, uh, next to Doppelganger is the present box with the uh, Magicant bat in it. Mm, I don't think that's true. I think that's a different one. Or is it the Goddess Band? Oh, yeah. There's a Goddess Band somewhere here and a Magicant bat. He's got something not useful next to him, I think. Oh, Oh, Bag of Dragonite. Yeah, not useful. Oh, the Magicant bat is way over there. It's on the path as you're walking. You can find it. There's also the Goddess Band. That's pretty good. Yeah. It could be pretty good item. Can I just say, I was stuck with a Casey bat (laughs) up until I found it. Whoa. Good. I was a sad little Ness. So this was such a relief. Uh, Were you using the Casey bat like from Master Bar forward? Wow. I guess. I don't think I ever dropped it. Can you drop it? You can drop it. You can sell it. You can do whatever you want with it. It's not a cursed item? No, I'm pretty sure I was just <laughs> swinging away with that thing and usually missing. And uh, it was fine because I think the rest of my party was carrying me. And I was like, come on, 
friends and just swinging swinging his little bat around enthusiastically and and uh, really riling up his allies. And now here he was all by himself, and that strategy was just failing. I think I guess I was just side bombing everybody. It was terrible. Till I get to the bat, and everything got better. I think this is the thank goodness for that bat. Second or third best bat in the game. I forget. We'll find out. Uh, we get through the gauntlet of enemies, navigate this section of the game, uh, let our flying man die probably before you get here. I don't think I've ever gotten a flying man to the boss in the next section. Uh, that would be fun. Yeah. I would like to see that. That sounds hard, though. You would have to just figure out a way to despawn everything. Yeah. At the end of the road um, is a thingy stick out of the ground it's like um, a like a hair like a silver hair ah it looked like a beanstalk I mean, to me okay it, it can me a lot of things yeah um and it's the first of many we're going to see for the rest yes. of this game right i don't know about yeah. many i think there might be like two others oh. but uh what uh, the, the, I was wondering if this was the thing you used to move between stages in the in the in the final final. You know what? End game. I, scene, but... I think it. I think it's a different sprite. It's I, the same kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I, I think. But yeah, but it's also the idea you you walk up to a weird object and you interact with it, and now you're on floor yeah, two yeah, somehow, yeah. and it's it's just how it works. I think they're uh, both similar it's... looking, but this one's got like a curly Q in it, and the other one is more straight. Yes. And Jason can explain the symbolism there. Yes, I'll be doing that in the after show for <laughs> Patreon subscribers only. <laughs> Touching it sends you to the Sea of Eden. Oh, you dear. know for sure that you're in the Sea of Eden because there's water. Um, and the music changes a, again. Yeah. And it's not really music as it is just like oppressive ambience. Mm. It's and I just want to yeah. say, I just want to drive this into the ground. Uh, like I, <laughs> the the first <laughs> the first panel in the Hieronymus Bosch triptych is the Garden of Eden. So there, yeah. So here we are. We've made it to the first panel, and with an angry, angry God, who is who is ourselves. Let's go. Uh, also, some krakens. We're in a primordial ocean. It has krakens. Um. And it apparently has exactly three krakens. Oh. On the hmm. map over here, because, like, uh, Wikibound was saying the three krakens in the Sea of Eden. I'm like, how do you know there's three? On the spawn map that we have been referring to, there's no spawns. There's no, like, indication of random spawns here. So hmm. I think those three krakens are baked in. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was I was cheating my way through it. I think you can't avoid the first one because he's in a he's in a tube that yeah. you go through. But then in the more open area, I was just scumming my way, and I did not fight any further krakens. And the fact that the kraken was kind of a scary boss not that long ago in this game, and you needed the whole party to take it down. It, it felt it always feels to me like this is a trap that you're supposed to avoid fighting these krakens because they're so scary um but the fact that you can't avoid that one and the fact that you actually can take it on one-on-one -on -one indicates that you are an incredibly powerful beast mm -hmm. 
I really think I, I want. Yeah. Okay. Oh, what? I wonder about the choice of a kraken. But yeah, I guess it's the scariest thing they could think yeah. of. It's kind of I was iconic. Also gonna say that. It's iconic, and it's. I think there's two things here. One, it's like the most evocative, like non-sanctuary boss. They didn't pick a sanctuary boss mm-hmm. for this. Yeah, which they couldn't have because the sanctuary bosses don't have sprites generally. Mm. I guess a couple of True. them have like palette swaps that could be used as a sprite, but like. Mm-hmm. They didn't choose a sanctuary boss. They chose the Kraken, which is this, like, not quite middle of the game, maybe a little bit later game boss. But it's also a boss that, when you fight it before, exists at a different scale, right? Because when we Mm, fought it before, we were really tiny. We were in a little boat, and it was the same sprite. Oh, yeah. And so it's doing something with scale here that I couldn't really tell you, where Mm. now we have become larger than life ourselves and are, like on more equal footing with this powerhouse that we had to deal with before. Mm-hmm. And yet it's still one of the biggest enemy sprites in the game. Yeah. And it still does the boss graphic. Uh, yes. when you fight yes. it And the sound of a boss. I had forgotten that. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, still- it's, it's yeah, a little scary, intense. but yeah, but then you can just beat it by yourself and there's more than one of them. So it's not really a boss. And it plays yeah, that Kraken music. music. Get to hear it again. The Sea of Eden, I like looking at it on this map, it really diminishes it because when you're there, at least for me this time around, I had no idea how big it was and I had no idea where I was going. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, they really arranged the map in a way that gets you lost in the s- smallest possible part of a map um it gets you lost in your own head if you mm-hmm. will with your own monsters monsters from the id monsters from the id and you're also just i also having dig to... oh we're, we're uh, about to say the, the same thing the, i don't think so because i'm <laughs> going to talk about how outside of the walls or whatever of the map uh is this like greenish watery color and you can see the reflection of the walls which i think is an interesting choice when usually in this game outside of the map you can just put black void they make the place look more expansive i guess Mm -hmm. more like you're in a sea by depicting some kind of water outside of the navigable part of the map is that what you're gonna say zach well and water in the navigable part we're now we're like trudging again we they're they're doing that trick where we're moving really slow in this area with some very dangerous enemies it's very oppressive there has to be water in the the womb of ness and the womb Uh of the world this is that's far more interesting than what i was going to say which (laughs) i'm just looking at this map myself and how you so you go through this initial channel of which i will say nothing more but you do find a crack in there and then you go up through it mm-hmm. and yeah there's these little i'm just looking at this map so i'm imagining like scale this way up and like imagining the the bounding box of a television and it looks like where are you there's this big figure eight area which is far larger than can fit on your screen yeah. so it looks like oh my gosh i am in this i'm in a maze and it's open, and there's islands, and there's monsters, and there are these bizarre uh, spikes, spikes coming out, which look a little biological. They look kind of, they they too look like hairs. 
Uh, and the true path, of course, is west. So there you mm. go. There's your west. If you try to go north, there ain't, there's nothing. You get stuck on a hair. <laughs> <laughs> and in the middle of, like, do they say the center of the Sea of Eden? Because looking at this map, it's not. But, like, somebody says something there, to that effect. It's the center. It's a very central area. There, there's a big blob. They say blob, later on and there's it's a, a triangle center. of spikes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's those it's spikes tell block. you that you're in the middle of something, just like in Wind mm-hmm. The Sea of Eden sits at the center of those feelings, those feelings being evil, vile inside of you. So. Um, but later on, uh, Ness will hear a familiar voice at the center of the Sea of Eden. Got it, got it, got it. Even though I can tell, looking at this map from bird's eye view, that it's the northwest quadrant of the Sea of Eden. Ness heard a familiar voice at the northwest quadrant of the Sea of Eden. But we're not there yet. Standing on the weird little podium sticking out of the water is the Mani Mani statue. Never thought I'd see that again. When I made such a big deal out of the Mani Mani statue for the first, like, 13 episodes of this podcast, like... The fact that they bring back that sprite as being charged with so much meaning here, I think is supposed to, like, it's informed by the the Mani Mani statue having more significance in the first half of the game than the game really tells you, I think. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And when I talk about the Mani Mani statue representing like selfish desire i think that there's like the fact that it now represents the evil within ness uh is like a you know the i think maybe all religions but maybe especially eastern religions um are able to point at selfish desire as the root of all evil and of all suffering like that the thing that makes anybody evil is the fact that they want stuff for themselves Mm -hmm. but it's also the sea of eden and in a uh in a western sense eden is the site of original sin being brought into humanity the sin that took place in Eden is the reason that all people are evil is because uh, something took place in Eden. I forget what. The word Eden normally has positive connotations, but here it definitely doesn't. The place Sea of Eden is a place of evil and suffering. What does that guy say again? Um, it's bad news. Uh, it's a place where you can touch the truth of the universe, but going there may bring sorrow. Um, the Sea of Eden sits at the center of the evil and violent side of you, Ness. And so Eden is not a good thing, according to Earthbound. Hmm. If Earthbound is, again, actually thinking any of these things through and not just throwing together stuff that sounds cool. I mean, it could be referring to the part of that story that's associated with uh, learning some knowledge that does you mm. harm. Yes. From an apple of enlightenment, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, no. 
And it does feel like a place where he's going to have a revelation. I like that's rich. Like I was thinking of it again in, in what seems now now suddenly in retrospect much more pedestrian terms to be like, well, here we see a reflection of the beginning where it's like Ness is going back going back to the root. He's going back to the root of, of all evil within himself and he's gonna make a radical change. He's gonna pull mm. pull this plant up by its roots and discard it through spiritual combat with himself at the source of all sin, at the source of all personal selfishness and darkness. It is his own Garden of Eden in that in the in the in the darker, in the inverse, in the flip side of that. But I'm really attracted to the idea that he is just going to eat that apple actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Well, I love that. The, but he, he the thing that kind of surprises me about how this all ends up going um, is I think that like many of no, just when you look at specifically David Lynch stuff and Carl Jung stuff in, for example, Twin Peaks, um, the attempt to completely destroy your dark side and just obliterate it is kind of a lost cause and that end, make, ends up with you repressing it instead and it just comes, you know, it cankers and then it comes back in the worst form. And uh, true actualization happens when you confront your shadow and, like, incorporate it, integrate it mm. in a useful way instead of denying it. But what's going to happen here is Ness like some kind of god being is actually going to destroy the evil at the center of his psyche and now there will not be any evil in Ness he will be an utterly perfect being <laughs> anyway you fight the mani mani statue but it's called Ness's nightmare this time and he it's... uses psi rockin ooh scary yeah i have i have feelings about psi rockin tell us your feelings um I've never heard of this thing. <laughs> I was watching, uh, uh, when I was watching this Let's Play, I, I saw it used against me and I'm like, okay, that probably happened and I probably rewound every time it happened because on a previous episode we were talking about my propensity to lean heavily on the the Switch version's emulated uh, rewind. Um, but also uh, the player uses Cyrockin. He delivers in this particular Let's Play, the player delivers their death blow to uh to to the nightmare and i have i never got this spell and i think i i think i was hilariously underpowered ironically because of my <laughs> my Jason, deep dependence what, at upon the rewinds of the game, what did you say your favorite thing was uh i said it was tamale okay uh so <laughs> you got the spell psi tamale i got the spell psi tamale oh so, wait, what? So, Ness gets a spell that's just, PSI, your favorite thing. And When does this happen? It just happens very early up? in the game. Like level 10? What? Level 5, no, it I doesn't. say. Yeah, it's pretty early. Are you are you joking? No, you've had no. it the whole time. You, it's been inside you all along. <laughs> no. <laughs> it does seem like the kind of thing you'd remember, but yeah. 
So this you're not pulling my leg. This, rocking, this, this, I, I thought that you were pulling our leg. Wait, no. Th- where where in the menus is this? It's at the top of his offensive PSI moves. Yeah. And he hasn't move named after your favorite thing. Yeah. That's why they ask you your favorite thing. I've never seen this. <laughs> but the default response is rockin'. The default res- your favorite thing is rockin'. I've never seen this. <laughs> I, 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 I the only memory I have of the favorite thing being used is in the the flashbacks. I did not realize you wow. Okay. I need to I need to mute and think about this for a while. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I have. It's okay. Maybe you said your favorite thing was freeze or something like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. maybe I did. I said my favorite thing was uh, chill. Yeah, <laughs> flash. <laughs> my favorite thing is like. Yeah, I'm sure that was what. That's what happened. Wow. Um, okay. Now this is why we come on podcasts to learn things. When I was here this time, I was not yet level seventy-five, which is when you get Rock and Omega. But Ness's Nightmare does have Rock and Omega, and I don't know if they expect you to be level seventy-five at this point. I feel like I was having a pretty good, pretty easy time only being level seventy or whatever hmm. I was. Uh, but like, did you guys have access to Rock and Omega yeah. at this point? Okay. I don't remember, but probably. I don't think I've used it once this playthrough. It's I just like I want to know whether they were thinking that that would be foreshadowing to the hmm. standard player. Like do they give do they try to balance it that, so that you won't be a level 75 at this point so that it's scary when it uses omega on you. I know it's- definitively in my first playthrough I never got uh, to level 75. I did not have uh, special Omega by wow. the end of the first time I played it. So when I it was used on me, it was like, oh, he's stronger than me. Yeah. It's a good choice. Uh, what else can Ness's Nightmare do? It it, it doesn't use... It, its moveset isn't the same as the Mani Mani statue. No. It kind of just does that in Life Up, so it's kind of just a slugfest. Oh, and Shield Beta. It puts a power shield on itself. There you go. So that you can't really attack with your bat, and so it ends up being kind of rockin' versus rockin'. They both emit a and glorious light, life. though. The Mani Mani oh, yeah, um, right. That's his nightmare. Okay, they both have glorious light. Mm-hmm. And glorious light is the, it's a reskin of PSI Flash, right? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Does that mean that it can one-hit KO you? I think so. Okay, that's screwed up. Those are also all your abilities. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Those are Ness's signature powers. Is Flash and Rockin' and Life Up. Because Um, he's the evil part of your brain. Yeah, but he he doesn't have paralysis, does he? No. That's the good part of your brain. The good part. (laughs) (laughs) That's some real 
Star Wars light side, dark side powers <laughs> nonsense. Hmm. There yeah. actually is a PSI lightning, so this joke is difficult to make. Yep. Anyway. We beat the guy. Probably. Okay, what happens next? Uh, You get a whole speech happen at you, uh, which I paid intense attention to this time, where I've never paid attention to it before. I don't have it pulled up, though. Hold on. Well, I want to see the the video of it because, like, the order in which things happen, I think, is significant or possibly significant. You get a ton of experience points just for killing the Mani Mani statue. And then Ness hears a f- familiar voice at the center of the Sea of Eden. Gygus's goal is to destroy you. Listen carefully. Everything in the Unverse could be destroyed at the hands of Gygus. But he and his followers are also in trouble. The Apple of Enlightenment has foretold that Gygus's attempt will fail. It is because of the existence of a boy named Ness. That's me. Listen. The idea of, like, my voice talking to myself but telling me to listen to myself mm-hmm. is pretty well, trippy. Well, now Free we're here. Mind- yes. This, this, is, oh, this, yes. Is, this is the stuff. This is the... We now have, like, Ness the individual talking to Ness the player to some mm. extent. Oh, jeez. This, this is where I, like, started to think back about all we talked about, of all these different, like, depictions of Ness that we've seen just in this episode. <laughs> There's all wow, these different yeah. versions of Ness. And now we have, like, maybe the most definitive Ness here as, like, an individual person who's now asserting some kind of dominance in this relationship we have with him as a character between a character and a player where he's now telling us, no, this is what's going on and I'm going to give you instructions. And so listen to me, the person you're controlling has turned into like a a God voice. Yeah. Addressing you. It's like, it's not buzz buzz or Tala Rama contacting you from across time and space, but like the most powerful being in the universe, Ness Mm. is going to address you. Free your mind and know what you must do. Your destiny has already been decided. You, I, where should we go? You know deep within the reaches of your mind because you're omniscient at this point. Saturn Valley. Yes, go to the valley where the Mr. Saturn live. You'll get something new there. Soon, Magicant will be no more. We must be quick. And then it says again, Ness really heard his own voice. Go to Saturn Valley. Go to Saturn Valley now. But before you can do that, Ness turns around so you can see how naked he is. And then he is turns completely white. And here's the apotheosis that we were talking about. He gets filled with the power of all the your sanctuary locations in uh, sequence. And all his stats go up really high he keeps getting bonuses to stats based on the power of lilliput steps and rainy circle it's it's really cool yeah. this is really cool and his hp and his mp meters spin up and down yeah. like you're in the compass of an airplane going through the bermuda triangle in 1976 it's awesome you know what i'm struck by we've been talking about like storytelling using the text box and here, the screen is completely black except for the white frame of Ness. And all that's going on is 
your stats are going up and your HP and PP meters are going crazy. But like, that's that's telling the story mechanically of there's no other way to express how powerful you're becoming than by showing the the like the visual indicator of your power, this abstraction being unable to express that the incredible numbers of HP that you are unlocking. You are transcending the bounds of your own mortal uh, user in, user mm-hmm. interface, your own your own HUD. Yeah. Instantly, Ness's mind cleared, and he realized that he had possessed great power. That he had possessed great power. It was all in, mm-hmm. it was inside you all along. At that moment, Ness's psychic powers radically expanded. And then the like the other text box appears. <laughs> so that like you're in a, a combat sequence and it says that you get two hundred thousand experience points. <laughs> and that's just so that you can level up a lot. Although no, like this is scripted at some mm-hmm. in some way, right? Because whatever level you go up to, your maximum HP goes up by some insane amount and then your maximum pp goes up by even more it's crazy yeah so that you're gonna walk out of here with like 500 600 maximum pp how does that work does anyone know nope i don't know the specific mechanics but i believe you're correct that it's it says it's gonna give you a bunch of experience but it's really just one huge stat boost in addition to the stat boost we just saw um but it, it must be like kind of using the normal like leveling mechanic because in this let's play that I'm watching here, uh, 200,000 XP is enough to send this person to level 70 and then to level 71. And at 70, this person gets the huge boost. And then at 71, they get a much smaller normal boost. Hmm. Um, and I remember for me, I, I was not going up to 70 or 71, uh, but I still got that boost at like the level that you gain with this huge amount like they set a flag before they give you 200,000 xp that make sure this next one is ridiculous um and you get you get life up omega at level 70 no matter when you acquire it but um at the end of this sequence no matter what else happens to you you it says and finally he realized he had the power of teleport beta that was also inside him all along. Mm. Now, you would expect him to, upon acquiring this power, uh, use teleport beta, but that's not what happens. Ness made all of the hidden powers his own. Ness absorbed the power of the land into his heart, and Magicant was no more. And then some trippy music happens. Oh, it says, now you can wake up. Now your your friends are waiting for you. It is time to get up. And then we have, like, the extremely cool 2001 to Space Odyssey moment of, like, flashing past all of the, uh, your sanctuary locations and spinning around and mm-hmm. possibly inducing seizures in some gamers and slowing down and where it stops, nobody knows. Uh... The thing about that, like, that goofy sequence. Jeez, is this real? I'm re- I'm about to say something I remember, but I have no proof for it, and I wonder if it's real. 
the seek the your sanctuary locations that flash by i think appear in the order that you got them and not in the canonical order of the melody oh huh. i don't I must know have how... read that somewhere i i would believe it hmm. i mean i believed it for a long time until the second before i said it out loud and then i was like wait that's stupid why would it work that way but i like I think what what that means is there's a chance that it will like finally slow to a stop on something that isn't uh fire spring. Well, I know that's true. You okay, well then yeah. why else would it be? Yeah, I think that must be it cuz for me it ends up on fire spring mm-hmm. and then it fades to black and then now you're really in fire spring with all your friends walking around your unconscious body. Well, not walking, standing around your unconscious body. Uh so yeah, I think that it must if it can, like, change the order like that, then that must be because it's possible to get the melodies in a different order. Yeah, it's my understanding that you could do this and make your last one Milky Well. I know that's the, the well, example okay. that I've heard of before. I've never done it myself, but I have heard that, and I believe that to be true. And it would just take you back to Milky Sarah, well. Jason, do you believe this to be true? Sure. I have accepted this into my heart. There you go. Then it says you're back at the fire spring, and it says the soundstone that Ness used to have is now gone. And Yay! Finally, <laughs> I up an inventory spot. You got that inventory spot back. Let's go. <laughs> then um, I, I hate. I'm, I, I mean, I don't hate it, but I uh, regret describing all of this in j- like just watching the video of someone else playing it and telling you what happens. But um, what happens next here is like worth. Pointing yes. out something. Yeah. Uh, Ness gets up and then Paula walks forward and says out loud, which has happened before, Paula can talk. What happened, Beanie? I'm sorry, Ness. Thank you, Beanie, for playing this game for me. <laughs> You've been unconscious for a long time. And then Jeff comes forward and says, You kept saying something. And Pooh says, He walks forward to indicate that he's talking. He says, Saturn Valley? What's waiting for us there? Anyway, we need to teleport. There's a cutscene here. Then everyone, yeah. There's a cutscene, <laughs> and all the characters are talking. It's so weird, right? It yeah. is really weird. It's like the game has to break its own rules, kind of to its detriment, to move the story forward. Here, it's like I was, I was totally buying everything. I was playing along with the whole thing where Ness heard his own voice in the primordial ocean at the center of his brain. But then when we come back to reality and all these characters who aren't really supposed to talk are now talking to me, it seems gross. Yeah, everything feels weirdly normal in like a jarring way. Yeah. It's almost like Ness has just had this experience and it's like otherworldly experience and is having to readjust to reality. Yeah. And in that readjustment now, maybe he's hearing conversations that were only implied before, because Mm -hmm. before the narrative style of the game didn't necessitate that kind of dialogue that you might find in another RPG or something. And this is almost representative of him, like, coming out of a brain fog, coming out of being unconscious and, like hearing things that and like and and like latching on to them in a way 
that previously would have just been filtered out automatically or something like that. So something approaching mm-hmm. that. I don't know exactly how to put it, but it's like mm-hmm. if this is a you know, deliberate a different choice, explanation has just occurred to me. Okay. Because notice that Ness does not say anything out loud at this point. Even though Ness was very verbose moments ago in the Sea of Eden. I think what's really going on here is a transition back into Ness as the hand of the player. Ness as the character who cannot talk and has no voice. Um, We reset things to normal video game rules by having the other characters who are not my hand talk to me and like uh, establish Ness again as a silent protagonist. It's just funny that they have to do it by giving these other characters who were generally very silent except for at like very specific times which are mostly just the times that they're introduced I think. When they join up until they join the party they get to talk. I guess that could be Well here they are rejoining the party. Yeah. Yeah. They're all rejoining that, and I like I like what what Zach was suggesting in, in that this this was uh, Ness reconnecting with his own reality, uh, and before and like, <laughs> and his friends are are just chattering the whole time they're adventuring <laughs> together, but he's so dizzy and not with it that he's actually <laughs> processing and presenting to the player their language, and oh, I'm not supposed to do that. That's like reading like stage blocking directions out loud. Let me just <laughs> filter that out again. There we go. Okay, back to normal. Well, I think the whole yeah. of Magicant is kind of, it could be seen as a way of him uh, paying more attention to others, where this whole journey has been about him, and he's now talking to people from his past and uh, revisiting things and people from along the way, and maybe he's opening up a bit to what other people have to say. That's so wild. Because like that really is there, even though the explicit narrative is Ness like being inside his own head, yeah, and only talking to characters who represent his own memories and desires. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, it does. It becomes a moment of seeing things from other people's yeah. perspectives somehow. I think that's like a it's a big part of growing up. You know, it's it's it makes sense to be part of a story of a kid hero. Well, you teleport to Saturn Valley. You don't get a choice. They're gonna push you right. To can I say? Can I say one thing before before we leave? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you said, when 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 you said his stone his stone is gone. He has he has done this inner journey, and and the sound stone. What's it called? The sa- the song stone or the sound the stone? The sound stone. The st- the sound stone has fulfilled its need and it is gone. And meanwhile, this whole time we're we're, we're talking about Ness's very complicated, very intense inner journey. I was because it was it it maps to my uh, you know a previous episode <laughs> that I was very privileged and enjoyed uh, on this podcast that I got to be a part of. It it kind of maps to Pooh's uh, Moo training. Mm. Yeah. It, it you know, and what does Pooh end his moon training with? His brainstone, which is kind of burned out and useless. Uh, and I don't know what the parallel is, but there's definitely a parallel that these two. Um, a very powerful heroes, one of whom is like, we just see kind of the end of his own training and we don't get to see his whole journey of how he got up to his final boss battle against himself. We just see that. 
mm-hmm. and then he, and he, he begins his, his new his, his next gig. Uh, but he's got this brainstone with him, which is completely unexplained. And in the meantime, there's Ness, and we do follow him from beginning to end of his whole journey, including uh, his self-actualization, which is absolutely what Pooh does. And his stone is like, all right, I, I have fulfilled my mission, and I'm gone. Huh. A- and uh, I, as with so many other things, I don't want to read too much intentionality here, but that does seem to be a very strong parallel between these two characters and this one thing, this one artifact that they both carry, which uses the same word yeah. in its name. Like, the fact that the brainstone doesn't work and is basically I mean, maybe a Maybe it did. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe it was on oh, purpose yeah, it's supposed that you to do could something. always concentrate on, oh, your, yeah. on your own. Well, like, what we, what we have in the text and the decompilation of the text is... Here's an object that's supposed to have a gameplay purpose. It doesn't have, it doesn't fulfill its purpose in gameplay because they forgot to write that line of code. Uh, so it's just like, it's a dumb bug. That's what we have in front of, those are the facts. And the, it, you know, the sanest way of interpreting those facts is, well, they wanted the stone to do something, but they didn't make it work. And they didn't include the situations where you would find out whether it works or not because... Like the loss of concentration effect is so rare, especially after you get the brainstone. But you can, if you want to be a little crazy, posit that they they in, there was some kind of intentionality in including the brainstone and making it more of a talisman for Pooh with like a story or character or meaning than a an item that was supposed to do it something um and they might have said i mean they might have said hey this doesn't work well keep it there anyway because it's cool it like adds to his character and it gives him a kind of an arc or something you know what i mean Mm. that's possible i like this yeah well we did it we beat the game we have entered the part of the game that i kind of barely remember (laughs) So it'll be interesting to find out what happens on the next episode of the third strongest podcast. Hey, can we talk about how the rabbits are very reminiscent of the rabbits from the uh, 2002 David Lynch uh, series of short films called Rabbits? Oh, yeah, we can talk about that. Are they? Uh, They're like kind of brown, creepy rabbits that are bipedal. I was just giving that to you as a, if you want to end there, but uh, oh, no, but also yes, we're, we can. I'll decide when the episode ends. All right, I guess they are okay. It, my my poll was that they're they're not they're not the right color for it all. But I was thinking of the Matt Groening Life as Hell rabbits. Oh, Binky and Bongo, but they're not. That's and she. They're white. I think. I think they're all. They are. They are white. Yeah. I don't see rabbits that way. I think it would have been a phenomenal ending. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm out of topics. (laughs) Um... 
good episode. Yeah. My other other topic was uh, otherness. Whoa. <laughs> That's all I have. Dang. Written down. Huge if true. Dang. Wow. <laughs> we forgot uh-huh. to talk about the duck. Yeah, it's a good one. What the did light. we talk about? The duck. There was a duck. Where was the duck? I didn't oh, think it was that important to talk about the duck. <laughs> what? At the very beginning of Magicant, there's a little duck. Uh, it's one of the first people you can talk to. It says, I'm just a faint memory. You don't usually remember me, but you've heard my song in the back of your mind. Oh, he, he, I read he, that he as a chick. Pee, 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 that one? Oh, a chick. I, okay. I, I mean, don't remember kind of visual build, things. <laughs> they don't say, like, hi, I'm a duck. Yeah, some kind of Hello. small yellow I'm a bird. Duck. I think it was yellow. It's a, can- a canary, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. To match the one in Earthbound Zero. That's right. Which we indeed do not think of very often. It knows. I, I, I'm truly out of topics now. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing either. Are, are we good? Ryan? Yeah, you can stop recording when you Okay, I'm going to stop recording. Yeah, I think it ended a while ago. <laughs>